0: Rasulullah, Habibullah, Shafiullah, Nabiullah, he said Zammiluni, Zammiluni, Daffiruni, Daffiruni A mighty task has come before me, I need you here
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to Inspiration Minds, the Mindful Muslim podcast, where we discuss Islam, spirituality, psychology, and mental health. This month we are talking about self-destructive behaviour and self-harm. This is something that is not often spoken about in the Muslim community and inshallah this month we plan to break down the stereotypes and um, get rid of the taboos that are around this subject that are affecting a lot of um, younger and older uh, Muslims. And uh, today, alhamdulillah, we have Nomir Ahmed who works for a mental health trust in London. So assalamu alaikum nomir and jazakallah khair for being here with us today. If you could um, tell our listeners uh, about, about your job and the sort of things that you do.
2: Uh, salaam alaikum, everyone. Uh, yeah, my name's Nomi Ahmed. I'm a, a psychologist uh, working for a mental health trust in London. I've been doing this job for about 12 years since I qualified. And most of my working life, I've been working in acute mental health services. So what that means is um, mental health hospitals, as well as crisis teams and day units.
1: Brilliant. Mashallah. Um, so I've worked. I've actually worked quite closely with the crisis teams myself, and I can imagine like it. It, it must get really I- intense. Crisis teams. Um, so what has been your experience of working within crisis teams? Because they're quite rapid, isn't it?
2: I I think both inpatient work and crisis team are incredibly difficult and challenging. Um, well, and they both present different kind of challenges to yourself. With the crisis team, it, as you say, it's very rapid. You get people in. You're trying to manage the crisis in a very short space of time, and hopefully get them back out into the community, back to the family, back to their um, not, you know their day to day living. With the inpatient, very is uh, the difference being is that actually they do need to be in hospital and need twenty four hour care, um, and that's the difference. But the same. Remit applies where you're, you're, the, the aim is to try and get an individual back out into the community and back to their day-to-day life with their friends, family and their work, if they have any.
1: MashaAllah. Um, so going on to the, the topic at hand, um, from your experience, what constitutes as, as self-harm, would you say?
2: Self-harm, as I understand it, uh, and bearing in mind I am a, a psychologist, so I'm not going by any... Uh, criteria on you know DSM five or um, BPS guidelines, but you know, self harm generally tends to constitute any um, deliberate actions that an individual takes to harm themselves, uh, um, either their body um, or their mind. Generally, it affects their body. So examples of that could mean uh, cutting their wrists. Um, some might argue drinking alcohol is a form of self-harm, taking drugs is a form of self-harm. Other people bang their heads against the wall or punch the wall. So they're just, you know, they're just a few examples of uh, different types of self-harm that people may undertake.
1: So what would you say, in, from, from your experience of working in patient uh, wards and a crisis team, what would you say are the most common reasons for someone to in, inflict harm on themselves?
2: Oh, I mean, that's a very difficult question, but a very um, pertinent question to ask, actually. And it's the, the, the reasons are quite wide and varied. Um, it all depends on their reason, um, their reasons for being presented at the setting in question. So, for example, um, some, uh, so there, there is a common... Um, Diagnosis as associated with self-harming type of behaviours, and that's emotionally unstable personality disorder. Uh, and that will that, so self-harm is a self-harming is a symptom of uh, EUPD or emotionally unstable personality disorder. My my experience of speaking to people who have that type of behaviour in themselves often acts as um, there's two common reasons I, I found is that it's a source of punishment for themselves because they feel they're blaming themselves for uh, the situation that they find themselves in uh, whatever that may be or it act, often acts as a source of distraction stroke relief from whatever pain and distress that they're experiencing at that time in their lives either with their friends their family their partners their children whoever whoever it may be or often it may even be uh, related to you know some form of trauma that they've experienced when they were much younger
1: mm, it's It's really interesting how all those sort of common factors are almost interlinked. Uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just thinking about like a sort of reciprocal cycle. so one feels the need to uh, relieve themselves of some hardships and so they self-harm, and then perhaps the the guilt kicks in and so they feel like they need to punish themselves even even more. Do you, do you think that that kind of cycle is is quite common?
2: The fact that someone wants to punish themselves.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking um, f- for like maybe young Muslims or Muslims in general is, you know, when, when they do self-harm and that's obviously seen as um, forbidden in, in Islam. And then they feel that guilt from self-harming um, and so they need to punish themselves and so they end up self-harming even more
2: yeah as with many issues in mental health um whether it's depression anxiety or you know self harm self harm in and of itself is not a mental health problem self harm is a arguably a symptom of a range of mental health problems predominantly uh, emotionally unstable personality disorder as i mentioned so self harm does form isn't part of a, um, a cycle of behavior and thoughts and feelings which is very difficult to get out of because as I, as I mentioned earlier on one, the, f- the very first time you might uh, self-harm you might uh, someone might experience a degree of uh, relief or feel as though they um, because they've punished themselves for example uh, that leads them to think actually this is an appropriate behavior or dare I say um, it, it validates their thoughts and feelings. so it becomes very cyclical very quickly.
1: Mm, absolutely. And I know we've um like we've just touched up on um like some misconceptions that e- a lot of people do think that self-harming isn't as an illness in of itself when actually it's sort of like a um like a cause of, of something else like you mentioned. W- what would you say are the most common misconceptions around self-harm, particularly for for the Muslim community?
2: I, if I'm honest with you, I don't think this is a misconception just to, specific to uh, the Muslim community. I think it's a wider uh, misconception that self-harm. That if you think that self-harm, and as, as I defined it earlier on, if you, it's, um, it's a deliberate act. Okay? And if you think about it in, that, in those terms as it being a deliberate act, it means that, that, that it, it would suggest that the person who is acting in that way would have a choice. And therefore, they are. It's a behaviour. It's an action, and um, and and this is a very common misconception. Now that people are doing it to seek attention, if you like. However, if you have a more humanistic, uh, compassionate side, people might and begin to understand the reasons why they're doing this. Then you can think you can um, allay some of those misconceptions. But as I said, without that level of exploration and understanding of as to why someone might be doing this then you you will continue to one might continue to assume that they are doing it for attention-seeking behavior and actually you know there's there's nothing wrong with them
1: yeah absolutely and i mean i i think that this this whole um this self-harming um and attention seeking is actually like a really big trend for young adults like especially throughout the high school years sort of like 14 15 onwards um and even when I was in school I remember thinking that oh everybody self-harms because it's just a trend and it's just because you know that they're self-harming etc how how would you how would you sort of deal with that like how would you be able to differentiate i mean i guess what i'm saying is does anyone ever actually self-harm to to seek attention and if they do wouldn't they shouldn't they receive the attention that they're seeking
2: Again, it's about the definition as to what you mean by attention. If you're talking about help-seeking behavior, then absolutely. Um, but when, when, if you think about the term attention-seeking, that is often uh, very negatively uh, construed by people. Um, but if you reframe that term as attention-seeking, as someone who is actually seeking help um, – uh, and not just attention; they are seeking help and support for the distress and the difficulties that they're experiencing at that time. Then, of course, I think someone should be uh, um, attended to, if you like.
1: Mm, absolutely, I really like that term. It's from going from attention seeking to becoming help seeking behavior completely changes everything doesn't it um from your i know that you might not have experience in schools and etc but i'm I'm just curious like what support is there within schools if you know for young adults that might be displaying such behavior
2: i mean i i don't work in schools and i haven't worked in schools since my training but um I think the good thing is from what I can see is that there is an increasing awareness of mental health issues, including especially self-harm and suicidal type behaviours, because uh, self-harm is often associated with suicidal thoughts and even actions as well. So due to the risks associated with that, there is an increasing awareness, and hope, and hopefully, uh, inshallah, there is greater uh, support available, both in schools and in community, for um, school age, you know, uh, adults or children, as well as um, you know, full grown adults.
1: And is there a difference in in? Present presentation of self-harm or self-destructive behaviors for Muslims and non-Muslims like is there a difference in, in the way that they actually do the act or the way that they cover up the act you know it, do you have you have you ever seen any major differences that you know Muslims don't or do?
2: I have not personally seen any major differences between the two I think uh, I guess if there is a difference particularly within the Muslim um, culture if you like is that there is a greater scope to try and hide uh, mental health issues I'm, I'm talking about wider mental health issues and not just self-harm but especially self-harm um and self-harm is something that people tend to want to hide from others although they're trying you know you could argue that they are um seeking help at the same time but there's a degree of shame and embarrassment that's also associated with exper- experiencing mental health issues because uh, the uh, the sign of a someone who is self-harming is suggestive that someone is experiencing some sort of mental health problem at that time. So there is, it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, this one, because with self-harm, on the one hand, it is a help-seeking type of behavior, if you like. But at the same time, no one uh, – I say no one loosely, but there there are a great many people, particularly within the Muslim cult- uh, um, culture, who are – to this day still remain ashamed and embarrassed and it remains a taboo to talk about mental health problems such as depression, anxiety, or even EUPD.
1: Absolutely. I mean, from from the experience that I've had with working young adults especially, um, is i found that muslims tend to when when they do self-harm they tend to do it very very secretive and very secretive places um so for example i know young girls that that wear hijab they wouldn't self-harm on their wrists they'd self-harm sort of behind their necks or like in between their toes and like you know really strange places that you wouldn't think of that you know sort of uh, quote unquote typical places to self-harm and also because um even with young muslim boys um because obviously that they don't have to wear hijab and they don't have as much of an aura as girls do instead of actually like cutting themselves or punching anything they they tend to like pinch themselves um in places where it's very sensitive Um, and I've always found that sort of really interesting and I I work with a lot of non-muslims as well and they're things that I haven't really seen among my among the non-muslims that I work with um you know what what are your thoughts around that?
2: My, my, my thoughts are, um, my experiences, I haven't seen very many men, uh, Muslims or otherwise, who tend to self-harm. They um, they, they tend to go a, a further extreme version of, or not even self-harm, they end, end up uh, experiencing suicidal thoughts and behaviours. Women, on the other hand, particularly young women who've experienced some form of trauma or, um, you know, difficult experiences when they were growing up, they uh they do tend to try to hide it i think there there is an issue that by um you know, and the reason why they anyone would like to hide it is that by disposing self harm they lose control to others whether it's family members school uh, or other other professionals and so going back to an earlier question that you asked in terms of why someone might do it uh my why someone might self-harm one of the reasons is actually it gives them a degree of control of when they feel the pain how long it lasts and when it ends etc etc so the moment they start disclosing that it means that control is then passed on to the family the school the psychologist the counselor the other professionals and this can so this lack of control can end up exacerbating it so that's a very key reason as to why they might um hide the self-harm um and so trusting others to keep the, the these problems confidential is another factor that then exacerbates their own sense of anxiety.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I just want to touch up on, like, I know you just mentioned that if it was to, um, you know, if the word was to get out, then it would get the parents involved and the school and the psychotherapists and et cetera. A, a question that uh, we've actually been asked to answer in this podcast is, is there a treatment or a solution for self harm uh, as as such? Like, is there something that has been proven to be effective for for self harm?
2: There is an um, approach within psychology called dialectical behavior therapy. Uh, in short, uh, the acronym is DBT, um, and what that focuses on is developing. Uh, different strategies to help someone cope with their levels of distress. So if we, if we go back to understanding why someone might be um, self-harming in the first place, um, which we mentioned was, you know, feeling distre- really distressed by their current situation or their life as they've led it up to now. or an idea of coping or difficulty coping with things, then the important strategy here is A, having an uh, an ability to or a space to express their thoughts and feelings in a safe and contained and confidential manner, but also equally important is trying to find a way for them to uh, manage this distress in a safe and containing way that does not involve them harming. So uh, an example might be with it, and so within the DBT, there are different, um, a particular um, approach, if you like, is called distress tolerance. So it's about tolerating the distress in that moment. One of the difficulties that come up for people experiencing this level of distress is that uh, well, commonly someone might think that the, the distress will never end. So, tolerate being able to learn to tolerate a moment of distress, which in if you think about it from an Islamic perspective, you know, we, we also um, think that li- life is not always just up and down. That, you know, Allah um, comes to test us as well. So part of that, part of the distress tolerance is learning, is testing ourselves to manage the distress in a safe way. So an alternative to, um, uh, you know, cutting yourself, for example, you might want to just put your hands in a bowl of ice. As an example, so what that does immediately is that it it changes the attention of your senses and your brain to um, feeling the cold because it's ice cold, it takes your attention and it kind of soothes your senses in that moment. So it distracts your attention from whatever whatever uh, distressing thoughts you might be experiencing in that moment to focusing on the freezing cold temperature of the ice. And that's just one example of uh, a way in which you can uh, distract yourself from whatever thoughts and feelings you might be experiencing that often leads to uh, self harm. So going back to uh, sorry, I've, I know I waffled a little bit here, but question,
1: no, it's absolutely yeah, fine. Please. <laughs> yeah,
2: but going back to your question of is there a way in which is there a treatment or is there a way in which people can manage uh, self harm or develop other strategies? Yes, there is, but you have to actually be willing to accept that there are strategies and be um, you know willing to try different ways Um, because you know people might self harm, but they often you know you can only take a horse to water but you can't make a drink so it's also up to the individual to actually want to be able to uh, change their harmful behaviors into less harmful behaviors.
1: Yeah absolutely I mean I've never actually heard of DBT before stress um, tolerance so just for sharing that Um, and like you were saying I think uh, I think it depends massively on how what? sort of state of mind the individual is in and if they're even ready to accept the help that you know they could possibly be receiving I mean I've worked with them people that have so much support and yet they never fully recover or they never really make any progress and it's because they simply don't want to or they don't have any any hope in that they're going to get better um, or at least get to a state where they can manage their uh, problems and then you have people that have barely any support and maybe see someone once or twice a week and you know they fly through all the like the targets and goals and etc so i think it it does massively depend on the individual's um mentality and, and i'm really glad that you mentioned like how islam also teaches certain things that are embedded within within these approaches and my next question was actually going to be you know is there a difference in uh recovery or treatment uh for muslims can we can we utilize uh islamic teachings when when uh dealing with muslims uh, um, when who are self-harming
2: as with any of the questions that you've asked, here, I think uh, with anybody, it largely depends on who we are seeing and what their kind of intentions are, what their own background might be, what they're willing to do. I, I can, I, and I speak from my own experience, you know, I meet many Muslims in my line of work. I used to work in um, in East London where uh, the majority of my patients were were Muslim, but not all of them were Islamic minded, if that makes sense. So, you know, you work with what's in front of you or who's in front of you and what they are willing to kind of engage with. Now, I know I'm, I'm I, I will admit I'm not a scholar. I'm not a um uh uh, an alim in in islam at all whatsoever however i have some basic understandings of of it and you know where possible where where there is a willingness in the individual to engage in that type of work i'm more than happy to help someone with that and you know apply those kind of uh, and help them apply their teachings and try to help them overcome any obstacles that are getting in the way however on the other hand you know that what i'm also very Uh, mindful that I don't want to alienate my patient and say and impose um, a way of thinking that doesn't sit well with them. Because then I don't know if that makes sense to you in terms of what I'm saying. So as much as I support an Islamic way of doing things um, and trying to encourage someone to utilize Islam to try and help them, I'm awesome. I don't want to impose that and that get in the way of our kind of relationship, help them overcome whatever the difficulties they may be experiencing. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It does entirely. It is logical, um, especially in that situation. Um, And, you know, I hate to say this, and it might be a bit controversial, but sometimes a lot of people's trauma that they've experienced is often, you know, connected to uh, Islam and Islamic figures and etc. like that. So uh, sometimes trying to um, suggest islam orientated things can actually be more traumatic uh for them and they actually need a lot of background work before they they get to that stage so that entirely makes sense um i actually um i know that you've been in the field that you've been working for for a number of years and it's just a question that popped into my head like has anything changed like historically like was self-harming uh done in a particular way say a few years ago to you know how it's done now like has there been any i say trends but i'm not sure if that's an appropriate word but has there been any major changes say over the past decade or so
2: not that i'm aware of i'm i'm not aware of any particular evolution in the way that people self-harm i think people are very um clever uh, and uh, they uh, people will find their own unique way of you know harming themselves that is quite uh, hidden so you know you've talked about people pinching themselves for example which is not the most obvious way to harm yourself but you, I, I'm I know someone from a few years back who would Pull the hairs out of his arm, or um, and it, whilst that's not, you know, that may not be the most painful thing to do, but it is a form of self-harm because it is, you know, creating some red spots on your arm, and it does give a bit of pain in that moment, albeit for two, you know a couple of seconds. But you know, the last ten years, the most common re- method remains uh, cutting, um, and that hasn't changed in all that time. And I, I in all honesty, I can't see it changing because. It's quite immediate uh, in terms of how people, in terms of the relief and the control that people feel, and it's very accessible as well. It's not, you know, but most people have a pair of scissors at home or some sort of razors at home, um, some even a knife. So there is ways in which they can do. You know, and the other one is. You know, using your own fist and br- punching the wall so is what people will use whatever is accessible to them in that moment uh,
1: absolutely and um i, I just want to go back to one of the first things that you had um how you had said that some people view taking drugs and taking alcohol um as as self-harm um and i think i was reading something on um on the guardian or um nhs digital or something like that and it had mentioned that in the past three years the the increase um, in young adults coming into A&E you know overdosed and intentionally having um, overdosed themselves has increased massively I think it was 15% or something I'll I'll correct myself when I write it write it up on the website inshallah but do you do you think that is a form of of self-harm and or do you think it is like reckless behavior and is that something that we should be worried about for young people is are, are, are young people using substances to harm themselves nowadays
2: uh it depends on what the intent behind it is i mean if you, you could argue that substances can be a form of self poisoning you know it's the use of more than a prescribed or recommended dose of any drug that includes you know poisoning by um non uh, recre- uh you know recreational drugs alcohol intoxication um or even you know, prescribed drugs as well, so th- 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 it is a form of poisoning, which is a deliberate and act um, and it is intended to be an act of self-harm. As a healthcare professional, uh, whether you're a psychologist or a nurse uh, or otherwise, I think we should always be concerned if someone is um, using that type of behaviour. Uh, I go back to something I said earlier on, there's, a, there's reasons to why someone is behaving that way, whether it's taking an overdose, uh, using alcohol, self-harming through cutting. Um, and when I talked about alcohol and drugs, it's to it's, uh, an excess, so that it is harming their body, their liver, or whatever it is that they're they're trying to achieve. Now, as I said, of course we should be concerned, and I don't think we should be uh, aiming to label the individual as reckless at all whatsoever, and I, and I reiterate the point that my, my, I don't think it's our job to try and assassinate someone's character. Our job is to try and uh, create a space for us to understand what is going on with that individual, understand their reasoning, understand their intentions, understand what it is that they really want to help with. And that, if I, I think again, I go back to the very very earlier point, but one of the two points here is that a the individual more often than not they want a degree of control. But secondly, and perhaps more, more importantly, is that they are seeking help and support
1: and, and that actually uh, moves us on really nicely to my final final question is you know what uh, top sort of tips or what you know the most important advice would you give to someone that may be listening right now who who is self-arming
2: I, I think I think always the first and foremost I think it's always good to talk to someone um now often you know you, you may not find your friends or family helpful to talk to because you don't want them to know about what's going on for you uh, because of shame embarrassment whatever the reasons are but I do think it's t- utmost important that you find someone to talk to about what's going on for you whether it's your gp find a counselor talk to the, someone on the samaritans um and the samaritans to talk through what's going on i would also suggest that maybe you try um, and look up techniques such as mindfulness, distraction, guided breathing techniques. Look up uh, distress tolerance online and think of ways in which you can um, tolerate the distress in a different way that doesn't involve harmful behaviours. Because um, the last thing I want is for anyone to harm themselves. And what I do want is for people to try and seek and gain the help and support that they want and clearly need.
1: Absolutely. Um, it, uh, for me personally, this podcast has probably been one of the most interesting ones that I've had the pleasure of doing. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate um, you being being here normally and taking your time out to record this for us. So khair for that and JazakAllah Khair to all our listeners who have listened in today Uh, we pray that anyone who may be suffering um, from some form of hardship or is harming themselves that Allah makes it easy for you Um, and please do take heed to the advice that um, Norma has suggested and you'll also find a few links um, that might be helpful at the bottom of the podcast on the website also please do read our articles and blog posts that have been going out on this topic you might find something that's, that's helpful Helpful, inshallah. Um, and if you have any questions or would like to suggest any future podcasts, uh, talks uh, or guests please do email info at inspirationminds.org.uk and until next time ShalakAllah khair as alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Allah, Allah, He
0: said zamiloni Zammiluni Daffiruni If it only a mighty task has come before me I need you here with me By my side By my side By my side